1: Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's show, we'll talk about China resumes outbound group travels, releasing the pent-up demand. And also, Microsoft and Google are gearing up for a battle in GPT. And now let's begin with our top story. China's outbound travel has warmed up, following a government announcement approving a pilot program to reopen international group tours. Travel agencies are now allowed to offer Chinese citizens travel services to some 20 countries, mostly in Southeast Asia. And Zhou Fang has more.
2: Nearly 50 tourists departed Guangzhou at midnight on Monday to begin their trip to Egypt and the United Arab Emirates. They are the first batch of travelers from the Chinese mainland to embark on a journey abroad after the resumption of outbound group travel.
1: I brought my camera to take some photos. I want to learn about the local traditions and customs in Dubai. Egypt is one of the four major civilizations in the ancient world. I would like to visit its scenic sports, such as the pyramids. It cost me 16,000 yuan to sign up for the tour group. It's acceptable.
2: Beijing has also witnessed the departure of its First batch of tourists heading for Singapore, Lei Hai Su with China Tourism Group says they've taken steps to provide travelers with a pleasant experience. We want the tourists to enjoy a healthy, safe, and comfortable trip in the travel services
3: we provide. We are focusing more on improving travel experience with the
2: local culture of their destinations when designing our products. The first outbound tour group from Shanghai has departed the city to Phuket, Thailand.
1: I learned the news from my WeChat moments posted by a friend. As I've never been to Phuket, this will be my first visit there. I feel excited.
2: Many travel agencies across China rolled out hundreds of tour products days before the country resumed outbound group travel. The most popular destinations are Southeast Asian countries, including Thailand, Singapore, Malaysia, and Cambodia.
1: And that's Zhou Fang reporting. For more on this, joined us on the line now are Yan Liang, Professor of Economics at University, and also Aina Tangen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So first, Aina, China resumed the outbound group travel from this week. So do you expect a significant increase in outbound tour?
0: Yes, uh, quite frankly, I mean, China is going to be the major factor. Uh, a lot of the reports as you go through and you read them uh, from the International uh, the Tourism uh, Council or organization, uh, they are underestimating what where China is, and one of the reasons I say that is, you know, two weeks before the COVID uh, outbreak in uh, December, I really didn't know anybody who had had COVID who had not traveled abroad. Now today I've been uh, combing around and I really don't know anybody who has it currently. So that gives you a a very uh, good snapshot of what's happening and the statistics uh, support that. Um, And that is going to increase tourism. Mm. Two bottlenecks though are uh, the fact that uh, some countries do uh, require visas and for a lot of Chinese over this last three year period, their passports lapsed. So there's a rush to the passport office
1: Mm. So yeah. So would it be quick or would it uh, take some time for a full recovery of the tourism industry?
3: So I agree with Aina. I think on the demand side, uh, that rebound will be rather swift because there has been pent-up demand that people couldn't travel in the past three years. So there is a eagerness um, to go to to go out. Um, Plus, they have the, the Chinese households um, have the financial means to do so. Um, I think one of the often cited number is that the uh, saving deposits have gone up by $2.6 trillion in just one year last year. So I think the households are, um, you know, having the pent-up demand and they have the financial means to travel abroad. Uh, but I also agree that, you know, they're the supply side constraint. Um for one, we know that international flights, both to China and from China, were only at about eleven percent um, of 2019's level um, as of late January. Um so it would take some time for those flights to resume. Um and also uh, like Anna said that you know people would need the documents to be able to travel. So all these factors could slow things down. But I do think that giving time, probably by the mid-year. Uh, I think overseas travel could probably reach 60, 70 percent of the pre-pandemic level.
1: Mm-hmm. And Aina, so how will traveling and tourism in the post-pandemic era be different from what have uh, you know, we have experienced over the past years?
0: Well, you know, we have to cut that into two two areas. Uh, During the pandemic, uh, tourism was contained. It it started a rebound in 2021. Uh, However, uh, even with 2023, it's not expected to reach pre-pandemic levels on a global basis. Uh, The big uh, question is when where does China fit into that? Will China actually exceed its 2019 um, uh, travel uh, due to revenge travel, as they say? Uh, People, you know, really pent up over the last three years just determined to go uh, visit and, you know, also Mixed in with the tourism numbers, you you have business travel, which is going to is already seeing a huge bump. So the same services that you know cater to tourism, uh, for the main part, will also be catering to them. There are people who need to see family members that they have not been able to see, and then just pure travel. Uh, mm-hmm. Some they just have this desire to get out, but it's going to change in terms of its nature. Already, uh, Gen Z is having an effect. Uh, much more emphasis on experience travel, not the same. You know, take a pic, get on the bus, take a picture, get back on the bus, and go to the next place where you take a picture. Um, people now really want to experience something, a culture. They want to see a sunset somewhere. Uh, they want to really have a sense of a place, as opposed to just uh, sending back pictures of so I was there, I was there, and I bought a bag.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so, yeah, according to China's large online tourism platform, Ctrip, Thailand is among Chinese uh, outbound travelers' top destination. And uh, Vietnam, Indonesia, Singapore and uh, Cambodia had the highest search uh, volume. So how do you look at this trend?
3: Right. I think that, again, reflects two main factors that I think for one, yes, Thailand expected to have, you know, 10 million Chinese visitors this year uh, compared to 11 million uh, before pandemic. So they were really hoping to have, um, you know, Chinese visitors returning um, and they have tried many ways to uh, improve the capacity to be able to receive um, Chinese tourists and they really welcome and show a lot of you know welcoming signs um, for Chinese tourists Uh, one example is a deputy prime minister He actually went to the airport in person um, to welcome, you know, uh, the large groups of Chinese tourists. So I think that welcomeness is one of the reasons that, you know, many Chinese travelers would choose these nearby countries, um, unlike some of the, you know, the United States or European countries that still have restrictions on Chinese travelers. Um, and also Japan and, and South Korea, right? They, re- they require negative COVID testing and so on. Um, so I think people are going to places that welcome them. Uh, and also they're going to places they're relatively nearby um, because like I mentioned earlier, that flights issues uh, you, was to take time to, to resolve. And also uh, because of the high energy prices and so on, so the travel costs could be relatively high. So I think people would start with countries nearby, uh, in Southeast Asia, um, and then maybe gradually uh, travel further. Mm-hmm. And Yan,
1: there is a term revenge travel, just like revenge consumption. And in the United States, we've already seen it. So will we see the revenge travel in China this year? Is China's tourism industry prepared for such a you know, travel surge?
3: Right, I think from the uh, spring festival, we have already seen that, you know, domestic travel has rebounded really strongly and reached about, you know, 70% of the pre-pandemic level. Um, And I say, you know, Chinese tourist sector, the service sector are also very ready to open um, to resume the businesses. So I think, yes, that revenge travel would be very helpful. And one of the things that I think uh, it's also interesting is now people are also, when they do the searches, when they do the bookings, they also increase their spending. So that, you know, revenge spending is totally, I think, um, at play. Um, People are not only, you know, eager to travel, but they're also eager to open their purse strings and start spending and experience, you know, the different cultures and, you know, the different um, cultures and different uh, uh, experiences. So I think that Chinese tourism will you see a relatively quick rebound. Mm.
1: And so, Aina, so before the pandemic, Chinese tourists made uh, uh, over 150 million outbound trips. According to the World Trade and Tourism Council, Chinese tourists spent uh, more than $245 US dollars globally in the year 2019. This is the most in the world. And how China's tourism industry will recover this year?
0: Well, it will recover. The question is to what extent. Will it exceed mm. 2019 numbers or will it simply go forward and uh, you know, be lesser? But the, the real issue here is tourism is a wonderful uh, stimulus for uh, countries, especially in Southeast Asia. Uh, you know 254 billion may not be a lot for Europe and America. It's still a uh, significant but for countries uh, around who are part of the Belt and Road part of RCEP, who are friendly to China. This is going to be a real lifesaver because it puts people to work people who need these jobs. I mean they have. Uh, stories about uh, in Thailand. A bus driver was working six days a week in 2019, basically through the, uh, the entire period of COVID. He was only working once a week and he's anticipating and happy to get back to work and start earning some money. So uh, th- these are affecting real people at the basic level. This isn't corporate greed or you know greenwashing or any of these things. This is, this is real stuff to real people.
3: Mm.
1: And yeah. so how do you think the resumption of the Chinese tourism industry will impact the economy, the Chinese economy this year?
3: Right. So I think that it's very important because tourism not only directly account for, you know, GDP and, you know, job creations and so on, but also tourism will create a lot of multiplier effects. So, you know, when tourists go out to travel, they would take transportation, they would stay in the local hotels, they would, you know, dine out, they will purchase, you know, uh, souvenirs. So all these could create a very good network of industries and boost a lot of service jobs and income of the, you know, local areas. And I think globally, China also is in is playing a very significant role. Uh, China actually accounted for about 12% of the tourism spending and 8% of visitors worldwide Mm. um, in 2019. And for the whole decade before that, China contributed to one quarter of the increase in international travel spending, and also 15 percent of the growth in uh, global tourists. Um, so that means, you know, China is going to, uh, you know, once the tourists are, um, you know, both domestic travel and international travel resumes, that could really lead to a lot more, you know, growth um, in the GDP. So, for example, um, it has been estimated that Thailand's GDP may be boosted by a whopping 2.9 percentage points, um, thanks to the Chinese tourism. Um, And Singapore could also get a higher GDP growth rate um, by about 1.2 percentage points, again, thanks to, you know, the Chinese tourism. Mm. So I think, again, with China opening up, with China rebounds back, Um, That will contribute not only to its own domestic economy, but it will contribute significantly to global economy as well, especially some of the tourism-dependent countries. Mm.
1: And so, Aina, so for China's economy this year, can the service sector and consumption become a major driver of the economic recovery?
0: Yes, it can. I mean, service sector is the one that was hit hardest uh, during this last three years, especially small, medium-sized business enterprises, but even the large ones. You saw it at the hotels. You definitely saw it at the airlines, restaurants, et cetera. Uh, They were all, you know, they had to lay off staff. Now, the issue now is getting them back. Uh, Right now, the restaurants are full, but you'll note that the usual number of servers are not there because they simply, some have not returned from uh, their holidays. But others, uh, you know, they were laid off. Uh, They went home and getting enticing them back is going to mean that there's going to be a slight price increase, which isn't all bad. I mean, you know, remember uh, when these servers earn more money, they have more money to spend. And that's one of the big issues about restoring confidence and getting this economic multiplier to be going upwards instead of as you see in some economies in the U.S. and Europe going downward.
1: Well, we're speaking with Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Yan Liang, Professor of Economics at Villamette University. And after a short break, we'll take a look at Microsoft and Google are gearing up for a battle in chatbot.
2: I am Dan Wang, Chief Economist of Hang Bank China. The World Today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So friends around the world, hope you can join us.
1: You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Microsoft and Google are gearing up for a battle for leadership in the AI technology. After Google acquired DeepMind, revel company OpenAI went to work on its own AI technology and recently released a ChatGPT to the public. Google responded by adding another company, Entropic, to its list of AI investment. And Microsoft is now fusing the ChatGPT-like technology into its search Engine being. So I know first what exactly is ChatGPT.
0: Okay, what what it, you know, for the simplified version is instead of going on to your computer or your phone and making a search and, you know, going through all the uh, uh, items that turn up and trying to figure out what it is, Chat AI is a way in which you can communicate more directly and get answers uh, based on artificial intelligence. And what it does is it it has these kind of not search engines, it, it, these, how to describe it. Um, It's a way in which you assign values to different things. For instance, if you have curtains, uh, some things are more like curtains or could be used like curtains and they have other attributes. What it does is adds them together, processes it, and then is able to use an AI process to express it. So it's uh, basically, uh, you know, natural language communication now switching over to the Internet, it's something that's been talked about for many, many years. And I remember this conversation in the 1970s, believe it or not. <laughs> and uh, now it's a, it's come to fruition. Mm-hmm. And everybody's jumping in.
1: Mm-hmm. Everybody's jumping in. So how revolutionary is it? Uh, yeah. How would it change our daily lives?
3: Yeah, I think... Um... You know, the Chat GPT is just the starting, I think, of the application of the AI. So I think the really the the sort of revolutionary effect has still remain to be seen. But I think for Chat GPT, we have already seen a lot of the potentials. So I think as what Anna was talking about, um, you know, GPT was able to generate um, human-like responses. It can write codes, it could provide you know, rudimentary financial analysis, it could write songs, poems, essays, Uh, you know, it could provide customer services, it could make predictions and giving, you know, personal advice and translation of texts and so on and so forth. So in some ways, I think it's revolutionary in the sense that it will be able to change the workplace and change the way we perform certain tasks. Mm. Um, it could help to orment and support, you know, our workers. It could help us to become more productive and efficient. Uh, it could really allow us to do things that are more. Requiring you know sort of critical thinking, interpersonal skills, as opposed to some of the repetitive and skill-based. I mean, sorry, uh, repetitive and routine-based. You know, uh, repetitive pattern types of jobs. So all of these, I think, you know, will be wonderful. And I know that you know, it also create a lot of ripple effects in, for example, in the education sector. Um, and I think going forward, uh, which is what a- Open AI is planning on doing, is they will make the tool, make the Chat GPT. Um, as available as external application for other uh, apps or other websites. So that means, you know, we could embed or integrate ChatGBT to create, for example, visual assistance, customer service bots, or marketing tools. Um, They could also generate, you know, documents and perform other, you know, work. So down the road, uh, we could also imagine using, you know, the ChatGBT and add a similar bar to create new ideas and simplify decision making so i think overall it will be very interesting to see how um, the development is going to go but that said i think again this is just one small application of the entire 80 um, artificial intelligence tools um, so that would definitely also transform other industries you know from manufacturing to healthcare to finance um, so, I think investment has been you know, surging the field. People are super excited about it. It takes only three months for ChatGBT to have 100 million users. Uh, as I compared to, you know, TikTok takes nine months and Instagram takes, you know, two, two and a half years to mm. reach the 100 million users. Mm. So it does seem that there's a lot of hope um, of this AI uh, uh, sort of revolution. Mm.
1: So, Aina, so what are the most likely effects this innovation will have on us?
0: Well, there are a lot of them. Uh, I mean, I, I've already know companies that have fired their copywriters, and they basically just have one person instead of ten. Uh, one person kind of look over the results of uh, ChatGPT. Um, but you know, this this is not ChatGPT is not a it doesn't have a uh, a monopoly on this field. There are twenty competitors out there who are hard charging to try to get ahead. And you know, as we've seen with the uh, electric vehicle market, everyone jumps in. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in the end, it starts to winnow down to the big two or three. Uh, Right now, it's uh, Google and Microsoft are the ones that are being mentioned uh, most often because of, you know, obviously they have high gearing in terms of their financial backing. But, you know, in the end, it's going to be how you can transfer all of these ideas and monetize it. And this is going to be a tremendous monetizing tool, but eventually it will be gamed. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, when the Internet came out and people could search for things, for products or you know, opinions about products and things like this, um, you know, it, it was just very natural. But then, you know, all the advertisers, people who wanted to get in there and, and get their products noticed started gaming the system. And I think mm-hmm. you're going to start to see this. So, um uh, you know, there's always this kind of cat and mouse game going on between uh, entities which are trying to discover useful information and other entities that are trying to insert themselves into that. So it's it's an ongoing game. This is not the end all. This is just the beginning. I completely agree with Jan on that. It's uh, going to do it in terms of impact, yes, on jobs in one sense, uh, but also it's going to uh, decrease the amount of time instead of You know, combing through uh, the results of my uh, internet search, this will really, uh, if I ask the right questions, Mm. and this is very important, questions are going to be more important than answers because they can provide the answers if you provide the right questions, Um, it'll save a lot of time. I won't have to pour through this. I just say top rated by. Um, You know, individuals who are trustworthy and industry put it all together and tell me what is the best humidifier that I can buy for under $200, (laughs) Uh, given that I'm not a tech nerd and I don't need it to uh, dry my laundry. Mm -hmm. So this is the kind of stuff that will uh, change things. But as I said, uh, other entities will start gaming it.
1: Mm. So, how would you evaluate the significance of this uh, AI revolution we are seeing today, and how is it different from the previous technological revolutions?
0: Well, it's it's different in terms of technology and application, but you know every solution just creates new uh, problems or challenges, and this is uh, very typical. This, I believe, that this is in fact game changing because you know efficiency is what the um, uh, computer that da- the data digital revolution is about if I can save time if I can save money if I can save resources then that will succeed and this definitely does that uh, regardless of who comes out on type etc et the issue is that they are going to create a new reality in terms of how I find uh, information and make decisions and that's really really crucial so mm-hmm. it has a, a very big uh, uh, future question is uh, how does it develop
1: mm. so yeah actually aina uh, mentioned improving the efficiency but will people lose jobs because of this kind of ai development and if so what kind of jobs will be lost
3: yeah that's an interesting question so i know some of the news media they have actually interviewed quote unquote, uh, chatgpt and have it, uh analyzed what kind of jobs that you know chatgpt will be replacing um, so I think some of the jobs, as I mentioned earlier, that are more re- routine based, they're more repetitive then they're more sort of tedious. So things like data entry, data processing, customer services, um, translation, and some of the routine kind of writing and content generations, those probably will be the job that could be easily replaced by you know chat Um but there are right now, I think two major issues uh, with the chat is one is, Um, ChatGPT could provide some uh, very authoritative, but completely fictitious and wrong, incorrect, inaccurate answers. Um, So that's why for some of the jobs that may have high liability issues, uh, I think the, uh, you know, the industry will be very hesitant to completely replace, you know, human work with ChatGPT. So things like you know you could have ChatGPT to predict to produce some of the repetitive you know paralegal documents, uh, but you cannot use ChatGPT to completely replace a lawyer um, because you know if there's any mistakes right the liability will be very high. So um, so those are the jobs that I don't think that ChatGPT can be completely uh, replaced. Um, and also, you know, CHAT GPT still needs a lot of human monitors for the, for, the, for the moment, right? It is creative, but I don't think it's that it has the same kind of creativity um, of human beings. So um, there's some creative jobs, analytical jobs, critical thinking sort of uh, related type of jobs, knowledge creation type of jobs. Um, I don't think those can be easily replaced by CHAT GPT, Mm-hmm. Um, but AI in general, though, I think according to some of the economists, they believe that AI may replace um, half of the jobs in the U.S. That said, ChatGPT also added that the net effect is still dubious because ChatGPT could boost efficiency and could open up new areas um, you know, for, for jobs. For example, AI monitor, AI management, right? So the net effect will really depend on the level of investment in AI. Um, And also the strength of our education, training system, and also the overall health um, of the economy. So take take its word for it. Um, So I think, you know, we still yet to see the the overall impacts. Um, But AI does, you know, is expected to add to, you know, close to $16 trillion to the global economy by 2030. Mm. So what that means is that on the net, the, the effects will be positive. But definitely there will be displaced workers' sectors and, and and jobs and even maybe countries. And so I think we will need to prepare for that. Mm. So we are
1: speaking with Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Villamette University, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.